as I was thinking about what to talk about in, in our, our Father's Day sermon and think about how to, what to share for all the dads and for all of us here, I, I thought on one hand, like, why don't we just do dad videos for like 30 minutes? Um, that would be super fun. And then I realized, no, nah, that'd probably get boring after a while seeing Donald and David laugh over and over again. Um, but uh, I thought, well, maybe we could do like a panel, like similar to what we did with Mother's Day. And we talked about doing that and um, it just kind of didn't feel right. And so we just really was praying about like, how, how can we share God's vision for us as dads? How can we communicate that? And what is it that you, Lord, want to show and to share to your people on this day? Because it is a special day and it's an important day because we, we know the importance of fathers in our lives. And so as we prayed about that, as I thought about that, um, I'll be honest and say that what we came up with, what I came up with, and what I felt like the Lord was leading me to is nothing um, super abnormal. It's nothing super, it, it may well, it, it is very exciting, but it's nothing that you wouldn't maybe anticipate. And it's simply this, to look at him on Father's Day. It's just to look at him. Because over and over again, Scripture tells us and calls us and, and reminds us that he is our Father. And so here's the thing as we think about this day and, and as we look to him and why that's important, the reality of it is that the vast majority of us unintentionally look at God not through the lenses that he tries for us to, to, to kind of give us to see who he is, but we look at God through lenses of our own lives, our own experiences, even the own fathers that are in our, uh, in our lives. And to some, that's a good thing. In other words, our, our dads really tried to exemplify the Lord as imperfectly as that was. For others, for others of us, that was hard because our dads were abusive or hurtful or they, were, they struggled in their own lives. And, and, but all of us at some level struggle to have kind of a tainted view of our Father in heaven because of the experiences of our own world. And so I wanted to spend some time talking about that. But I wanted to start off with a text of Scripture that reminds us of who God sees him himself as and us as his people. And so I want you to turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 14. We're going to be reading verses 1 to 2, and I want to invite Megan Brumley to come on up. She is going to be reading for us this morning out of God's Word. And if you would, please stand with me out of respect for his Word as she reads. Megan, pass it off to you. Deuteronomy 14, 1 through 2. You are the sons of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves or make any baldness on your foreheads for the dead. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Megan. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for who you are. Like you, you are a wonderful, mighty, majestic God and Father to us. And Lord, our prayer and our desire this morning is that we, after walking out of this place, would have a better view of who you are so that, that we might be able to worship you all the more. And so, Lord, I just pray that your spirit would speak through me this morning, a, a weak vessel, uh, and ultimately speak through your word to help us to see you for who you are. Uh, Lord, we just ask that you would give us your favor, ask that your spirit would move in us today. Uh, we ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So interesting text for us. And the point of the text, I promise, is not don't cut yourself. Although, listen, 
good advice, right? Like, that's good advice. Don't do that. It's also not to not make baldness on your foreheads. Also, maybe good advice, depending on who you are or the type of guy you are. That's not the point of this text. Those are things that are there uh, that spoke specifically to uh, the, the life of the people of Israel as they were kind of dealing with all the pagan folks that were in um, Canaan. But the part I want to focus on is the part that's before those two kind of strange um, commands and the part that's after, where God tells us that the people of Israel were the sons. And when you hear that, Think sons and daughters. Don't just think sons. Think sons and daughters of the Lord our, your God. You were, they were a people uh, holy, set apart to the Lord. The Lord had chosen this people to be a treasured possession out of all of the peoples of the earth. Like, this is an amazing text. And the point of this is that God is establishing himself long before Jesus to have the desire to function as a father to those who are his. Now, I want you to think about the people of Israel. And maybe you're not familiar with their history, but let me just give a quick, brief reminder. God had called a people out of all the nations, called the people of, the people of Israel. And he had called them to be set apart, to be different and unique, and to live in accordance with his ways so that all of the nations could see that. And so God gave them a life-giving law. Now, this wasn't just a book of restrictions and rules to try to keep things from them, but the intent was that these people would live in accordance with God's ways, and they would find life in God's ways, that they would be a witness and a testimony to all of the other people. But if you know the people of Israel, the history of Israel, then you also know they failed miserably at that task. They were not able in their own strength to walk in the flesh, to, keep a, to walk in obedience and faithfulness to the ways in which God had called them to do. They failed in that. Because they had this, this evil nature, this sin nature, which we talked about before, in them. Now, this wasn't a surprise to God. Now, he knew that was the case. In fact, the people of Israel and the history of Israel, much of that is intended for us to see ourselves in the people of Israel, to see our own inability to keep the law. That it's, it's, as it's given to us, we're not able to just go, oh, great, that's the way of life. Let's just follow that. Like We're unable in our lives to keep that. Something had to happen inside of us spiritually before we could find the life of walking in God's ways. Because by our nature, we're just a rebellious people. By our nature, we are people who don't want to follow the ways of God. And so if you know the story, what happens in history is God, knowing this is the case, sends his son, Jesus, the son of God, who through his righteous obedience in life and death and in his resurrection has done four main things in our lives. Here are the effects of the son's obedience. First, he redeemed our failure to keep God's life-giving law. He redeemed. He bought us back. He purchased us. He delivered us from slavery to that kind of way of life. Now, you may remember several months ago, David Mann spoke and gave a sermon. He talked about a ledger card and how in the old days they would line on one side of a ledger card your assets. On the other side of the ledger card would be your debts and how all of us before Jesus, only have debts. We only have things we owe. But Jesus' life only had things in the asset side. And what happened in Jesus is he took our debts and put them on his card and took his righteousness and put them on our card. He redeems us by the work that he accomplished 
in his righteous life and his death and his resurrection. He redeems us in our failure to keep God's law. But does more than that. He also provides the opportunity to receive adoption. So by faith in Jesus, he now opens the door for us to become part of the family of God. The text that we read in Deuteronomy that calls the people of Israel the sons of God, he now opens up the door for us to have all of our brokenness and sin dealt with so that we can enter into the family of God and have a reconciled relationship with the one who made us. Like This is one of the pinnacles of the gospel to understand that one of the things that God desired in his work is yes to glorify himself, but to also reconcile us to a relationship with him. Thirdly, he, Jesus, God through Jesus gives us his spirit, which now allows us to be obedient. Listen, none of us outside of the work of Jesus Christ and the spirit of God in us are able to walk the law and walk in the ways God has called us to any better than the people of Israel did. None of us can. And yet, He's giving us his spirit, making us alive spiritually, giving us the ability now to be obedient and to find that life in him. Fourthly, he makes us co-heirs with Jesus. The Hebrew doesn't just bring us into the family, but he also promises us to give us the inheritance of what it is to be a son or a daughter. Like this is massively important for us. Here's a text that has all four of these components in it. It's out of Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Again, there's that purchasing back, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we, we might receive adoption as sons. So he redeems us so that we might be adopted as sons and daughters, And because we are sons and daughters now, he has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So he's given us his spirit so that we can actually have that relationship and walk in that closeness with him and walk in obedience to his ways. So you are no longer a slave, talking about sin, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Like This is a glorious reality. To see the Father in heaven desiring to extend his entire family to gather to himself a treasured people who can find their life in him for all of eternity. A people that he can delight in and a people who will delight in him. Now here's the thing, and I started off by saying this. There is a real challenge for a lot of us though when we hear this. Because we hear it with our ears, we hear this intellectually, we see it. But oftentimes in our worlds, we see something very, very different when it comes to fatherhood. We see something very different play itself out in our lives. And so we can begin to see, instead of God as he is, we begin to see him as the fathers that are around us. And so this is why this is important for not just fathers on this day, but for everyone, ladies, singles, all of us, to be able to see God through not the lenses of our earthly fathers, but through the lenses that he has given to us. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes we can look at a father and see a good example of what love is and what godliness is, but still it's not perfect. And even if we do that, sometimes our experiences 
aren't even attached to just our reactions to our own fathers. Maybe they're just personality. Maybe we have a personality to feel like failures or feel like we always have to prove ourselves. And so we see our relationships through that kind of a lens. See, God wants all of those lenses to be taken off, and he wants to put on to us the clear lenses so that we might see him. And part of what he's given to us to do that is his word. So instead of seeing what has truly happened through Jesus and living in that glorious truth, many of us are tempted to live practically as if God is something he's not. So I want to start off this morning, before we just look at who God is, I want to start off with looking at who he's not and five ways in which we're tempted to view him in our lives that really affect the way we approach him in our lives as well as other people. And so the first way that we oftentimes can be tempted to see him is as an authoritarian father. Now, maybe you had an authoritarian type of father. This is a father who is disconnected. He's inflexible. He's more about rules than he is about love. He's more about discipline. Like, you wait for his discipline. You're always anticipating his discipline in your life. Imagine it's going to be firm. You imagine it's going to be hard. You imagine his discipline is going to be swift Imagine this is what he cares about most, is that you obey his rules. So what happens if we start to think this? We read scripture, for example, through this kind of a lens. And so we might come to a text like 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so we read a text like this if we see God as an authoritarian father figure, and we go, oh no. Like, I still struggle with some of those things. Like, I, I'm not completely free of all those temptations. And so, I mean, he must certainly be angry with me all the time. Like, he must always be mad at me because he knows I'm still struggling in these things. And we kind of see him as this father who's got his arms crossed, just looking at us like, man, man, you are always such a mess. Like, why can't you just obey what I've told you to do? And I've said this before, but you can hear, get this view in our minds where, you know, he kind of holds up our adoption certificate all the time in front of us and says, listen, like, if you keep messing up, I'm tearing this thing up. Like, like if you felt this way, like, it's because you're viewing him not as he is, but based off of other things that have come in your lives. Because this is, this is not the way that we see God. This is not who he is. And if you live this way, You're going to struggle to see God as a loving father. You're going to always be walking in fear. A constant cycle of failing and running away from him in your failure. And then maybe at some point when you finally get to the place where you think you've punished yourself enough or maybe he's not mad at you anymore, you slowly crawl back to him just to see how mad he is. And you say, God, I'll never do that again. I promise I'll never do that again. And he kind of looks at you and says, okay, fine. At least in your mind's eye. Fine. But just make sure you don't mess up again. And then you do. And you run away. And the cycle continues over and over and over again. And here's the biggest danger of seeing God this way. One, at some point, you're just going to start feeling uncared for. 
You're going to start feeling unloved. And you may just give up. I'm just tired. This constant cycle of failure. Or, even worse, you're going to come to a place where you become self-righteous. And you think, I've actually, I've actually earned his approval. And now he's no longer folding his arms at me, but he's looking at me and he's going like, okay, you're doing a good job. I'm glad you're doing that. And you become self-righteous. And in that, even in that moment, you're still not connected in a relationship with him. It's about your fear of him and your own pride and that you're obeying the law. So here's the thing. God is not like the authoritarian father. He's not. But he's also not like the fun-loving father. See, there's some that would see God as the fun-loving father. That you just live life as if all he cares about is some emotional connection, feeling good and having fun and helping you be the best person that you can be. You know, he paid for your sins, and so he doesn't care much about how you live. He doesn't care much about rules. He doesn't care much about helping lead you into anything different. We read verses like John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and we see ourselves as the center of his life. Oh, look, he died for me. And if you view him this way, God is all about you. And he's all about you at the center of his, his world and making you happy. He just wants to be your friend. Now, there's certainly components of that. But if you view God this way, rules, like they just keep you from that. In this perception, God's always saying yes to you. As long as you believe enough, like he wants to always say yes. He never wants to say no to us. We never feel disapproval, never really see the need to listen to the things that he says because that's not what's important. God's just there to help us become something great, to reach our full potential, to help us feel a little bit better in this world and in this life. The problem is that in this view of God, when the emotion is no longer there, when the feeling is no longer there, we run to the next thing. We're looking for the newest component, the newest way to connect us to this emotional, loving conception of who God is. We're always looking to be encouraged and filled with hope and joy and peace. And as soon as we're not, if we feel any press or we feel like God's actually calling us to lead a certain type of life, we run away and we look for more of the joy and encouragement and hope and peace because that's what God really cares about for us. Ideas of holiness and purpose and mission, none of that matters if you see God as just the fun-loving Father who just keeps us at the center of His world. There's no expectations for us at all. Brothers and sisters, just like He's not the authoritarian Father, He is also not like the fun-loving Father. He's also not the overbearing Father. Some of you know what an overbearing Father is like, full of rules in a way that he wants deep connection, but wants to control every single area of our lives, expecting conformity in all areas. He's overly protective. And so we read verses where it talks about watching and praying, and it's all about guarding our lives and keeping ourselves safe. And if you believe God is this type of a God, it can lead to a tremendous amount of anxiety where you feel like, man, there's danger around every corner. Like, I'm going to be tainted, or I'm going to ruin my life, or I'm going to step outside of his will because he's going to get mad at me, or whatever that is. And, and you feel like he's constantly overbearing on you. And while God wants to have lordship over every component of your life, yes, 
It's not in this kind of a way, not in a way that he wants us to be anxious. Instead of being in the world, we often just, and and not of the world, we just retreat out of the world altogether. I just got to stay away from it because I have to be safe. I have to be safe. This is also not our Heavenly Father. Some of us view him as a distant father. We feel like he just doesn't care. Yes, he saved us through Jesus, but he really only cares about the big goal, getting us to heaven. And he's uninvolved in the day-to-day. He doesn't answer my prayers. He doesn't really care much about the things that are going on in my life. He's just distant. And so as long as I stay within certain boundaries, he just probably won't pay a lot of attention to me. And so I'll go to church. I'll read my Bible. I'll try to do some of the right stuff. We simply don't expect much from him. We don't ask much from him either. We don't think he desires our presence. And so we don't pursue his presence. If we live in this type of a life with this type of view of God, like this is a kind of a consistent level of monotony we live in our lives. We do our thing. We go about the things that we want to. He builds his kingdom, and that's the way it's going to be. Sometimes, some people, and I've actually met these people, I've counseled with these people because they view God this way, they'll even at times fail as a means to see if they can get his attention. I'm just going to mess up, and I'm going to see if God cares enough to actually discipline. I'm going to see if God's actually even there and can show me that he's there, even if it's in his anger, because we feel he's so distant and he's so far removed from us that he doesn't even participate in our day-to-day lives. Brothers and sisters, this isn't our Heavenly Father either. Some of us would see him as the busy father. This is the father who may want a connection with us, but he just doesn't have the time. He's God after all. He's got so many other kids. I don't want to bother him. I don't want to, I don't want to give him any more trouble than he already has. And so we tend to just not want to pester him. We just live our lives and try to do the best that we can, trying not to burden him anymore. And it's us who distances ourselves from him because he just seems so busy. Now, here's the thing about these five different views. There's a lot of other things, but I hope you can see how quickly and easily our view of our Heavenly Father can be changed by our experiences with our own fathers. And maybe by seeing the way it works itself out in other lives. And if I'm honest and I think about this, I vacillate between seeing God this way, kind of depending on the day and the season of my life. There's days where I really feel like he's more of an authoritarian father. There's days where I feel like he's more overbearing. There's days I feel like he's distant. There's days I feel like he's busy. And I kind of vacillate in and out. And and here's the thing. For us as Christians on this Father's Day, if we want to see him, we need to see him for who he is, not see him through our experiences or through the lenses in which are there in front of us. If we want to be good fathers if we want to be good mothers, if we want to be good, the, the, the kind of people that he has leading us to be, the, the loving kind of people that he wants us to be, then we have to see him as he is. 
As I was thinking about that, how do I help us to see that? How do I give us a vision for what God is and and how he functions as a father? I looked and there's all kinds of scriptures and I could list characteristics of God and I could list all kinds of attributes of God and his love and all those types of things. But there was one text that I kept coming back to that I think is kind of encompasses the idea of the relationship that God wants to have with us as his people. And I want you to look at that with me. Is James chapter 4, verse 8 and 10. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Uh, I'm going to read the rest of it here in just a second, but I'm going to say that again. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do you want to know what kind of father he is? He is a father who wants to be near. I just want you to sit on that for a second. He is a father who wants to be near his sons and daughters. He's promising this text. says, listen, if you draw near to me, then I, I'm going to draw near to you. And I don't know what mental image that puts in your head. Again, maybe you've got a father where that was the kind of man who led in your life. Maybe you were that, the kind of father that it tries to do that with your kids right now. And I don't know what that kind of image is. If you hear that idea of drawing near, that component of a dad saying, hey, come draw near to me. I just want to stand by your side while we fish in a river or lake or wherever people fish who fish, Right? Or come draw near to me as, and as he beckons you to be by his side as he goes into battle. Draw near to him as he is working in the field and he wants you to just join him as he works for the harvest. Draw near to him as he's sitting on the couch and he just wants to be close. Draw near to him as he's making dinner and he's about to feast and he wants to feast with you. I I don't know what mental image you have of him in that component and this idea of, of drawing near, but this is the kind of God that we serve. He wants to draw near to us. He wants us to draw near to him. I think that's an amazing thing. He is making us his sons and daughters. As we experience the ups and the downs of life, he wants us to draw near. Now, some quick notes that I want us to be mindful of as I think about this. First, cleanse your hands doesn't come first. Think about that. Cleansing your hands doesn't come first. The text doesn't read, cleanse your hands, then draw near to me. The text doesn't read, purify your hearts, then draw near to me. You know what that is? That's a father who expects you to clean up yourself, and that's not him. He says, draw near. And drawing near will cleanse your hands, and he will then purify your hearts and make you a single-minded person. Because we don't see him through the right lens, we can easily get this backwards, feeling like we need to cleanse ourselves before we draw near to him. I have struggled with that so many times in my life. I'll give you a a mental image of this and a way that I think it plays itself out. My daughter, Samantha, when she was a little girl, she loved to play in the mud. 
And when I say she loved to play in the mud, like her and Ethan, particularly like the two of them would get together and they would go out in the backyard and they would dig a hole in the backyard uh, and then they would fill it with water and they would wallow around in it for hours. And when I say head to toe covered in mud, I mean head to toe covered in mud and they loved it right? And so oftentimes what we, what we view in our minds when we think about getting clean and cleansing our hearts before the Lord is, is we have this vision to be like me standing by the hose and saying, hey, Sam, Ethan, come draw near to me, but clean yourself up first. Don't go inside, but I want you to clean yourself up first. How are they going to do that? No, no I, I say, come draw near to me. And as a dad, I loved cleaning the mud off of them. Like it was so, so fun to grab that hose and just spray them down. Now listen, don't take the analogy too far because God never thinks it's enjoyable for us to be in the mud of our sin. That's not the point of the analogy. The point is, is that you can't get yourself clean until you come to him first. And only in his presence can you cleanse your hands. He's the one with the hose. He's the one with the ability to take the mud off of us. And so many times we view him as the authoritarian father who says, draw near to me, but man, you better get all that mud off before you come into my presence. Or you feel like, again, he's the, dad, the, the kind of father who says, man, I don't care. Just draw near to me and leave all that mud on you. It doesn't do that either. He says, draw near to me. And in his presence, brothers and sisters, he will cleanse us. I just want you to get that this morning because if you see him wrongly, you will keep a distance from him when you see your own sin. And he says, no, you draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Next, he says, be wretched. Now, this may not seem very encouraging, in your own heart as you think, man, I don't want to feel wretched. I don't want to do this. But I love this, this idea because I know my own tendency in relationships is to put on a mask. And it's this idea that man, I'm not going to let you know who I really am inside until I believe you might love me. And even then, I'm going to slowly start to reveal that. Because I'm afraid you're going to see who I really am, the wretchedness that's inside of me, the brokenness that's inside of me, the wickedness that's there, the impatience, the, all the different things that are there. And man, I'm going to keep that from you because I'm afraid if you see it, then you'll walk away from me. Man, our whole world is built on this idea. Social media does this perfectly, right? Like I'm going to put all kinds of masks out there and I'm going to pr produce this product for you to want to see you know what God says? He says, draw to me and be wretched. You know what that means? He sees all of our wretchedness already. And we get to come to him and just be who we are. Like, you come to him and you share your fears and your doubts and your sins and your brokenness and your angers and your impatience and all those different things. You're like, God, I just, I just want to be near you, but look how messy I am. He says, I know. I knew before you told me. I knew before you came to me. And I've already washed it. She so says, man, come, be wretched. Our Father wants us to come and be wretched and mourn and weep, knowing who we really are, but also then seeing that even in the midst of our wretchedness, we are his treasured possession. 
He delights in us. He doesn't delight in us after we're not wretched anymore. While we were his enemies, he died for us, is what Scripture tells us. So our Father, he says, draw near. But he also says, come and be humble. As you draw near to him, you see his wisdom, you see his strength, you see his purpose for your life and for my life, for his church. You see what he is doing in the world. And in our humility, we can lay ourselves down to do things his way. I don't remember a specific time where this happened, but I know myself as a kid and I know myself now, and I'm pretty sure there were those times as a kid that I would come to my dad or I would hear him say, hey, why don't you come help me uh, mow the lawn or work in the shop or do these kinds of things? And I would come to him and I would listen to him give instructions of the right way to do it or the easy way to do it. And I'd be like, "Uh uh-huh, I got it. And I would then go on to do my own thing in my own way and oftentimes cause a mess. Listen, we're to come to him humbly. And that's part of what faith is, saying like, I don't know how to do all this. I don't know how to live this life. And so I want you to lead me forward. And so we draw near with humility and we draw near to be in him, to to, to let him lead us in our lives. I want to read a text before I get to the final thing. It's John chapter 6, verse 37. All the Father has given to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. James puts it this way, in an even more encouraging way, that if you draw to near him, he will draw near to you. I love that. Brothers and sisters, it's not all on our hands. He's not just a father who's distant from us. He takes steps towards us. You move towards him, he's going to move towards you. I think about Peter, and I oftentimes get Peter and and just the idea of who he was and and his relationship with Jesus. And if you know the end of kind of the story of Peter, at least with Jesus on on earth, you know that at Jesus' crucifixion, Peter betrays Jesus three times. Like, supposedly one of his greatest friends betrays him in his greatest hour of need. Jesus dies and then raises again from the dead. And I love the picture. When Peter and his buddies are out on the lake and they're fishing and they see Jesus out on the shore, and they say, oh, look, it's Jesus. And what does Peter do when he sees Jesus? He jumps into the sea and he swims to shore. He draws near to Jesus. I imagine how terrifying that would be. What if he casts me away? What if he's mad at me? What if he condemns me? What if he doesn't want to talk to me because I betrayed him? But Peter jumps in the water and he draws near to Jesus and Jesus draws near to Peter. And Jesus says, hey, I'm paraphrasing but let's get some fish and let's have breakfast. I just wonder if Peter wanted to hide. I wonder if Peter wanted to run away. I wonder if Peter hoped that Jesus would just ignore his betrayal. None of those things happened, but Peter drew near to him, and he drew near to Peter. He heard the voice of Jesus usher him in closer, and he drew near I wonder, was Peter years later, 
as he was hanging upside down because he didn't want to be crucified the way that Jesus had been because he didn't feel worthy of that. As he's hanging upside down and his nails are being driven in his hands, I wonder if he felt that he was distant from God. See, Peter had spent a lifetime drawing near and near and near and near to the Lord. And in that moment, I don't think Peter doubted the closeness of the Father. I think he looked forward to the opportunity to be even closer when he saw him face to face. I think so much for us, our goal in life should be to get near and near and near to our Father. To hear this text in James and hear your Father saying, draw near, draw near, draw near. So as we close this Father's Day sermon, I actually love that in this text and so many others, we're not giving any kind of a step-by-step process to draw near. Because I think that if we were, we would just check the boxes off that list and just do it hoping that we would draw near. No, no, he just says, draw near to me. I mean, think about drawing near to your spouse or to a girlfriend or a boyfriend or to a friend or to whatever that looks like in your life. You don't do it through a checklist of things to do to draw near to them. You just seek to know them more. You seek to be in their presence more. You seek to have them know you more. You just draw near over and over and over and over and over again. And that's as simple as he's saying. There is no step-by-step process. He just says, draw near. And my encouragement to us this morning would be just draw near. Just draw near. Make that your goal. God is not some group of ideas and concepts that we just hold and believe as facts. He is a person, not humanly, but he is a personal being who wants to reconcile us, to be near to us as his people. That's so important for us. And so I ask the question, are you allowing lies about who he is to keep you at a distance from him, to keep you dirty, to keep you impure? Is your faith about God helping you in your life? Or is it all about you? Is it about him? I think about the idea of just coming closer to him and what keeps us from him. And I think so often these lies about who he is keeps us at a distance. And so my challenge for the people of God, for those of you who in this space have put your faith in Jesus and you've received the the salvation and the gift of salvation and the reconciliation that he has to see him as a God who wants to be near you. And when you are tempted to see him as an authoritarian father who just folds his arms at you, always disappointed. When you see you, you're tempted to see him as a God who doesn't care about your dirty sin and your yuckiness and all he cares about is making your life happy. You see him as a distant father. You see him as a, di- a too busy father. I want you to remember the command to draw near to him. And you speak to that lie, the truth of God's desire for you in your life. And you draw near. 
And you go be wretched, and you go be humble before him, and you let him clean you up. Stop trying to do it yourself. Let him do it. And you find the peace and the joy that comes from being in his presence. For those that are here this morning that have never trusted Jesus, you've never found that kind of love and acceptance. You've never seen a father like that. You've never hoped to even have a father like that. I would simply want you to hear his call to draw near to him. Jesus said it this way, come to me all you who are heavy laden and burdened and you will find rest. Draw near to him. He won't cast you out. Jesus says that really clearly. I will never cast out any who the Father has given to me. I will never turn away any. I will not forsake any. If you seek me, you will find me. Jesus says this stuff over and over and over again. And I would encourage you that if you've not found Jesus yet, keep looking. You could be his treasured possession. You can have this kind of a relationship with the Father in heaven, the kind of relationship where he seeks to want to be near to you. Dads, I want to speak to you for just a second. I don't know what kind of a father you are. I don't know what kind of a father you grew up to be. Your example for being a dad isn't in any human being in this world. Your example for being a father is found in God. A father who says, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. And in these components, and I just simply ask you this, like, are you seeking and striving to be a father like that? If you are, praise God. Keep striving, keep working, keep repenting when you fail because you will, and keep growing more and more and more into the likeness of your heavenly father. And if you're not, and you're just simply doing what comes natural, and you're simply replicating the father that you saw or that you had, I would ask you, turn your eyes to the one who gives you the real example of what a father is to be. I want to pray. I'm going to lead us into a time of communion and then into a time of response. Would you just bow your heads? Father, as I come to this closing time, I feel like there's not words that are sufficient to really help us to see who you really are. And I know you've given us your words in, 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 in the scriptures, and you've given us um, all kinds of examples throughout history. But Father, one of the things I've learned more and more and more about you is that the deepest knowledge that I've gained from you has come from those moments where I've sought to draw near to you. And I think my biggest prayer for all of us in this space this morning, those that are listening, those that are here in this room, is that we would see you as a father who desired sons and daughters that were separate and holy that we're living in accordance to the life-giving ways in which you want us to live so that we would flourish, that we would be part of the work in which you are doing, that you, you desire to see us as your treasured possession, as, as a delight. But Father, I pray that our delight would be in you. Our delight would be in your presence. Our delight would be to seek you, the greatest transcendent divine being that has ever existed. 
who spoke everything into existence. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the glories of you as a God who is so holy and uniquely different than us that is said, draw near to me. And I will draw near to you. I pray that you would just help us to walk in that, to pursue you that way. Father, I pray for so many of us that might see you and have struggled to see you in different ways, or we've seen you as an authoritarian type of father, or we've seen you unbalanced towards just a loving friend who just wants to be our buddy all the time but doesn't care about all any of those things, or seen you as a distant father who's up in heaven who doesn't really care about all of the day-to-day parts of our lives, or a father who's just too busy to care or hear us. Father, I, I pray that you would help us to not listen to those lies any longer that today we would see you for who you are. And I pray, Father, that we would actually begin to walk in that and to live in that. And I pray that all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.